Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Alexandra Stockwell. Alexandra Stockwell, MD, is a physician-turned-relationship and intimacy expert, drawing on her experience as a medical doctor, relationship, and intimacy expert, as well as her marriage of 23 years. She helps committed couples shift from thinking that long-term relationships are where passion goes to die, to discovering how to create the exquisite emotional and sensual intimacy they crave. For 20 years, she has been showing men and women how to bring pleasure and purpose into all aspects of life. From the daily grind of running a household to ecstatic experiences in the bedroom. Sometimes it takes a moment to change how you live your life. In the case of our next guest, Dr. Alexandra Stockwell, it took the joy of her nine-year-old daughter to have her realize that if she doesn't change, her daughter would never remain that happy. It also triggered a response to what happened when Alexandra was nine, which led her down a road to healing and change. She's going to talk all about it. Here she is. Okay, so today we're going to be talking to Dr. Alexandra Stockwell, who is going to be sharing with us betrayal, what we make it mean. And that's going to get really clear as we discuss and get further into this conversation. So thank you, Alexandra, for joining us. I'm so excited to share this time with you. Oh, I'm really glad to be here, Debbie. Thank you for having me. And, you know, you have such an interesting um background and shift here because here you were physician turned uh, relationship and intimacy expert. So let's get to the root of where something like that could have started. Can you bring us back to where you said, Hey, you know what? Um, being a physician is, is nice and all, but I, I really have this deep need to uh, take it in another direction. Where'd that come from? Yeah. So I loved practicing medicine. I actually trained right near you. I went to SUNY Stony Brook and then was a resident in Massachusetts. And I love practicing medicine. I love connecting with patients and facilitating healing. And that may or may not be really, you know, relief from symptoms, but there's always healing possible. And um, really in this context, what I would say is that I realized after being in medicine for 12 years that while each choice in my life and the way I had set up my professional and personal life was good, I had betrayed myself and I couldn't quite figure out how exactly. But basically, I prioritized my patients over my family and my family over myself. I know you relate with your dogs and children and busy <laughs> life. I also, at that time, I had three children. I have four children. I've been married for 23 years. I love practicing medicine. I was totally devoted to my patients. And somewhere in there, I knew I, I had betrayed myself. I wasn't really connected and it really was about that vague. I, I didn't even have a clear enough idea. Mm-hmm. I just knew that it wasn't it, it wasn't somehow set up right. And the issue was not time management. I do a lot of things and I tried a lot of different ways and I couldn't quite figure out how to honor myself and my relationship to myself more so that I felt more alive and that while I was giving, 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 giving Mm -hmm. to good effect and in meaningful ways, 
I really wasn't receiving. And, um, you know, I, I, I could give like specific examples, but yeah, sure. I left medicine in order to, it was initially a sabbatical. I wasn't sure if it was temporary. In fact, I haven't gone back, but I just needed to do this inquiry that I felt super confused about, but I knew was necessary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's so interesting that you're saying this because there's that, and, and this happens so often where what used to feel good doesn't feel good. What used to make sense doesn't make sense anymore. What used to work doesn't work anymore. And here is where I've seen it over and over again. I mean, this is what my TEDx was about, where we we use things like food or drugs, alcohol, work, TV, keeping busy, anything to numb, avoid, distract from that feeling that you're experiencing right there where something isn't working. I don't want to dive into it any deeper to find out what it is. I'm just going to use some sort of something so I don't have to look at it, hoping that it goes away. Does that sound about right? Absolutely. And, you know, in with the mix was, I was very close with my mother and she died at uh, just after her 60th birthday. This was a few years before this transition from medicine. Like I had a lot of different things that I hadn't really taken time to be with myself and really integrate. But fundamentally, yes, it was like unease Mm -hmm. that drove me. And um, I I certainly did my share of eating and overscheduling and then the thing which really inspired me to take this kind of low-level discomfort and just not working feeling, what, what had me really face it is my daughter turned nine. She's my uh, oldest child. And mm-hmm. on her ninth birthday, she was radiant, filled with joy, expressive, and just lovely. And it freaked me out. And I knew that was a very odd response to such a wonderful Mm -hmm. (laughs) experience. Mm -hmm. And um, when, when I was nine, my parents got divorced and it was a super complicated time. And I, in seeing her radiance and like normal organic development as a child, as a girl, Mm -hmm. I realized that there was a part of me that I had disconnected from when I was nine. And I didn't, I knew that if she continued to, you know, grow up in my presence, living at home for another nine years, that there was no way that she could sustain all of her radiance because there was a part of me that was like uncomfortable and unsatisfied, a little bit vague and confused. Mm -hmm. And I needed to go figure out how to address it, how to reclaim my joy and my love of being in a woman's body. And I couldn't figure out how to do that in the context of what was otherwise a really wonderful life I've create, I had created. And, and, you know, I want to unpack a few things that you said. You know, the first is, and I see this personally as a mom and just with with all the parents that I know or or when we love someone so dearly sometimes change for just our own sake isn't enough 
And we need, you know, it's like, I'll do it for my children or I'll, uh, you know, there's got to be that bigger motivation. And it sounds like, you know, on one level, that's what your daughter gave to you. It's also, you know, I see so often where there's that moment, you know, we need that defining moment where we say, you know what, that's it. Uh, Something where there's that wake up call, there's that shift, there's just that awakening that happens with something very specific. And it sounds like just seeing your daughter during that just one moment was the light bulb moment for you where you said, oh my gosh, I really need to do something here. Or, you know, she'll go down a road that I don't want her to go down. And of course we, you know, we can't control that, but it, 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 am I right there? It is, does that sound about right? Totally. And, um, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with this idea that some people are motivated by inspiration and some by desperation. Mm-hmm. And this was definitely a hybrid because I was inspired by her radiance and joy. And it highlighted this lack in me. And, you know, nobody else present had any idea that anything special was happening in that moment. Mm-hmm. But I knew as a devoted, loving mother and consultant in schools, I had a lot to do with parenting workshops and all kinds of things. It was not normal to see all that joy in a nine-year-old girl and feel like freaked out by Mm -hmm. it. And you also mentioned that that was the time when you were nine, your parents got divorced. So of course the show is about betrayal. And, and what we can do to heal from it and all those other things. How did their divorce impact you? And was there a betrayal there? And that's, you know, what sort of landed on you and what may have stuck in you that needed attention and healing? Absolutely. And um, I don't think I or anyone else could have really known that clearly at the time, but I had this very interesting experience during my orientation as an as a medical intern. We had um, a training on cultural sensitivity. I, I did my residency training where there were people from lots of different cultures, and we learned, for example, not to put our foot up because the Vietnamese, when they see the bottom of the foot, it's insulting, like giving the finger kind of thing. That was my understanding. So anyway, as part of this cultural sensitivity training, we of course had to start by identifying our own culture. And I have a long line of interesting, juicy New York Jewish lineage. But the thing that came up for me in doing these exercises that really kind of took my breath away at the moment, because I wasn't aware until then, is how I identify as a child of divorce. And so more than, for example, when I connect with New York Jews, I don't so much think, oh, they're my people. I do. But way more is like when I connect with someone whose parents have been divorced between, let's say, four and 13. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, like they're my tribe. They're my people. And in fact, my husband, his parents were divorced when he was six. And there's a way in which there's a very subtle comfort that we share because of that, um, his experience and mine. And so I think that was really the beginning of seeing how impactful those moments were, even though it was, um, I'm, I'm not sh- like about 20 years later that mm-hmm. I did this 
cultural sensitivity. And, and you know what it is? It's like it's like you're placed in a club you never wanted to be in. I mean, it, it, and that's what betrayal does too. We are now in this club we never wanted to be in, but here we find ourselves in this club. Can you just tell us, because I'm sure there are so many people listening saying, oh my gosh, I am the child of divorced parents. And and tell me what's, what is it? What, what do we all experience that, that, you know, just to give them a level of comfort? Just to know that yeah, they're not okay. alone. Okay, so um, here are some of the things I notice about myself that I do not necessarily notice in other people, unless maybe they share this. Um, I don't like surprises, and because they unnerve me in a certain way, mm-hmm. it's like if if I don't know what's coming around the corner, it's mm-hmm. extremely uncomfortable, and it's different than not knowing it's like an existential discomfort. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I connect that to having been completely blindsided when my parents, uh, said they were getting divorced Mm -hmm. and, um, there's a way in which I, I've been married for 23 years. I have a fantastic marriage now, but when we first got married, someone recently asked me, like, what was the secret? There was no secret. I was like, um, I I had the beginning of my marriage where we got along, like we loved one another. Everything was good. And then I also simultaneously, and not at a whisper, louder than a whisper, had this track in my head, just assuming that, of course, we're going to get divorced and like making mental notes for what a great husband and father he was so that I could tell my children later when we were going to be split, we were going to have a very different attitude about him then. But I wanted to like make mental notes about how good he was at the beginning. Wow. Oh, that's really interesting. And you know what? I can see that going one of two ways because, you know, on one hand, you're in the, if in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, we're definitely going to get divorced. Then, you know, you're sort of going to take actions that, your your mind always wants to prove you're right. So you're you're doing things that would sort of lead you down that road. But here it sounds like, I don't know, you're you're creating this picture of what you want almost like as a preventive thing. I just want to make sure I understand it. Yes, exactly. And um it really arose in a in a lot of different ways. Like I I think once we have a particular identity, mm-hmm. then it, it um, I'm going to talk poetically for a moment, but mm-hmm. it's like it sends out vibrations and then things happen that reveal that to us. So one of the things is when I was practicing medicine and I had a holistic practice, um, I noticed that I basically became a specialist in advising parents how to tell their children they were getting divorced. Now, I was not vulnerable. I did not share my stories. I was super professional. That's how I moved through the world back then. Mm -hmm. And um, I just noticed like every month or sometimes two or three times in a month, people who weren't even necessarily my patients, but they had heard about me from somebody. Sometimes it was the couple that would come together. Sometimes just one parent because the two parents didn't see eye to eye. And they would ask, my for my guidance in how to make this communication and it was very eye-opening first of all I suddenly became 
quite compassionate towards my parents. And after decades of resenting how they told us, Mm -hmm. um, I realized it was an impossible task and there's no way to do it really well. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. but also drawing on my experience, I was able to really clarify what are the different variables to consider, but in having people essentially attracted to me for this, I began to see more of what was happening in me psychologically. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you're, yeah, you were getting clear based on what you were sharing with other people. Yes, so, exactly. Right. And then what did that lead to for you? Well, it certainly uh, led to my shifting from focusing on doing things for my children and for my family to doing them for me. Because I think the way that I was at that point, I thought that I could do things for the children so then it would go well for them. But one of the things I saw is that you really can never control someone else's experience. It's a basic idea. We encounter in all kinds of places, but that's one of the places it really hit home for me. And that spurred me to really figure out how to live in a way that no longer betrayed myself, but was more honoring of myself, of my experience, of my desires, of my inspirations and creativity trusting that at least I could model for others what having a beautiful relationship with myself was like, because anything else I tried to convey might or might not work. So now when you make a shift like that, it it, it almost, I don't think it can help, but impact your children, your husband. How did it, how did it affect things at home? Well, um, my husband and I had a relationship which I describe as conflict-free and passion-free. It wasn't zero passion, but a lot, a lot of couples who are devoted to one another, they have a life together, they fully intend to stay together, they live this way where um, there's not a ton of fighting, things are peaceful, but there's also not a lot of sensual delighting. Mm -hmm. And part of the shift in awareness we were just talking about resulted in my really prioritizing connecting with my husband, man and woman, two adults. And while we also certainly co-parented and everything else just as much as before, Mm -hmm. we really... um, started, I don't want to say put the spotlight, but we like started to put a nightlight mm-hmm. on, um, you know, our relationship. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you, you just, it was a shift in priorities too. It's like you just honored your relationship more or whatever it was to kind of reignite that spark. Exactly. And, um, one of the things that, I think it's really a contributing factor to most people's relationships 
and involved in leading to betrayal is that we have a lack of models and a lack of education. When you want to be great at innovation, you know, there are all kinds of people you might learn from, Elon Musk, whatever, mm-hmm. same thing in sports and in, in uh, music. But when it comes to relationships, there really is a lack of models worth emulating. And even when people have a lot of admiration for their parents or grandparents' relationship, it's not the relationship that they want to be living. Mm-hmm. So um, really, I, I ended up um, taking all kinds of workshops and trainings that were mostly for single people or polyamorous people or just all kinds of things where nobody else there had a long-term marriage mm-hmm. and children at home. And I learned a lot from that world and translated it, brought it back to my own marriage. And that really was what had me shift into coaching other couples and bringing my expertise in relationships and making it available to people who are married, busy, Mm -hmm. professionals who also yearn for this information. Right. So what about let's say a couple who is healing from betrayal, or let's just say there's a man or a woman who has experienced betrayal and they want to have a healthy uh, and romantic and exciting relationship going forward that, you know, not based on what they've been through, but based on, you know, what they've, what they've gained because of that. Do you have any examples of, of people yeah, you've worked with? I do. and But before I answer that, I want to step back and say that my framework, because often when we hear, um, you know, someone has had an affair, then it's like they're bad. And that's really not my framework at all. I think when someone has an affair, it really is an attempt to feel alive in a relationship that is largely driven by numbness, busyness, disconnection. And when someone has an affair, it's that they're unwilling to not feel nourished. And if the nourishment isn't available, and I mean emotional intimacy and sexual sensual intimacy, if you can't feel nourished in the marriage, then either you give up or you look for that nourishment somewhere else. So betrayal is um, like the most painful, clarifying event, which when both people use it to work on the relationship is the most amazing catalyst. And so that's the context. Where do we begin? It really depends um, how soon after it's happened because the very initial step is to reestablish trust and to find a workable dynamic because typically before the betrayal happens, the dynamic in the, the way the couple is relating is unworkable for at least one person. And after the betrayal has happened for a couple that wants to at least try to work it out, they're in completely 
uncharted territory, and neither one of them typically feel confident about how to be with one another. So the first thing is just to acknowledge how uncharted the territory is. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, what's so interesting about that. And I, you know, this is the world I live in, yes. uh, you know, so I, I get it. I understand this. So we are so uh, afraid of the unknown, but it's in that unknown that a completely new you, new relationship, you know, if the relationship is meant to be rebuilt, can be rebuilt. It cannot happen in the known and familiar. Exactly. And um, that, like, really the first step in that rebuilding is for each person to learn to connect with what's true for them. And I think that's essential in any juicy, nourishing, intimate relationship, but it's so tricky to speak the truth after betrayal because by the time someone is talking to me they found some form of like um truce like some form of neutral like a no-fly zone kind of thing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and but for that healing to happen as as we both know and for the necessary truths to be spoken, it's a very tender process. So um, I actually, uh, I'm going to use two metaphors out of medicine, which may or may not sound like betrayal to anyone listening. But when a woman is going in for an induction into the hospital, The way, you know, unless there's some emergency or other consideration, the way to make that a successful, beautiful, beautiful bonded birth is to turn up that Pitocin so slowly that she barely notices it's being turned up. And then she can keep pace with the experiences. And it's the same phenomenon that's so important when we're turning off the equipment at the end of life, that the difference between it feeling like a beautiful life experience, life affirming passing or something that builds resentment towards the doctors and a sense of like, I didn't get enough. And you know, that is the pace. Mm -hmm. And I, and I draw on what I learned in both of those contexts in pacing things after a betrayal, because it's key to move at the rate where all of the person can keep up. And sometimes that's very slow initially. Mm. And you know, it's so interesting because as you say this, and this is something I haven't thought about, I have four kids and my youngest is uh, at this, you know, the moment of the time of this recording, 17. And he, because I, I really need to know all the kids are, you know, where they need to be. And so we did, we scheduled an induction and I remember so clearly how they, uh, turned up the, the Pitocin, but not 
the epidural. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Right. And and that was the most brutal thing in the world because I think my doctor was a a team and no one was around and, and they, you know, this Pitocin was just cranking when the, and any sort of help along with that was not. And, and I mean, was I grateful to have a healthy delivery? Yes, but holy moly. I mean, that was brutal. Uh, you know, I've never evoked this analogy before, but now we've just heard why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and is yeah, I clearly remember it. I do, and I've had you know four beautiful, very painful deliveries, but that one in particular is exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and so when that is um, paced, so you can like keep up with it. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of. Um, pacing to move into being really honest about what the reality was when I'm coaching a couple, when there's been betrayal. Right. So what do you want to make sure we cover before we wrap up? Because I, I, I want to, you know, I want to make sure that people know there is hope for sure. There's hope. I mean, I'm living proof. I'm sure the people you work with are living proof there. There is hope for intimacy after betrayal and a level of connectedness and looking at relationships differently. Um, but what do you want to make sure they know? Uh, I have two answers. One is for the one who's been betrayed and that is Where did you betray what was important to you first? It doesn't absolve anyone of anything they've done, but that's where the really significant transformation happens in that inquiry. And for the one who's done the betraying, what I want to say is being with somebody else, either during the marriage or leaving the person and going to somebody new, it's never going to solve your problem. Mm-hmm. You have to find the courage to address the real issue. Beautiful. Wonderful. Alexandra, thank you so much. And, and where do we go to learn more about you? Alexandrastockwell.com. Uh, A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-A. S-T-O-C-K-W-E-L-L.com. And um, I have on there... Uh, when you go to my website, you can download the six qualities of conscious partnership because I want to be able to give people a sense of where to move towards no matter where you're starting. Oh, that's so helpful. Alexandra, I want to thank you so much for your time. There are people listening who've been betrayed, who've been on the other end of it, and they are uh, children of divorced parents. And I know they gained so much from this too. So thank you so much. I appreciate Thank you, Debbie. I love the work you do. I think it's so inspiring the way you've taken your personal experience and made it globally available for so many people. It's, it's really magnificent. Oh, thank you. I thought it was so interesting how things like surprises would be something really uncomfortable. And if you're a child of divorced parents, do you experience that too? 
I also love those two uh, questions Alexandra invited us to consider. If you're the person who's been betrayed, where did you betray yourself? And the question for the betrayer, looking elsewhere is never going to solve your issue. Look within. Stay in touch with Alexandra by going to alexandrastockwell.com and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at pbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. Whether you're overscheduling, overeating, or doing anything to numb, avoid, or distract yourself from something that needs your attention, it's only going to get bigger and bigger. So see if you can figure out what's causing the unease and sense that something isn't right. Maybe it's a call to play bigger, to pay attention to something, or it's a subtle nudge telling you to trust your gut. Whatever it is, it never steers you wrong. And now it's time for me to give you a gift. Head over to pbtinstitute.com and receive my gift of how your biggest crisis reveals your greatest gift. And let it support you. Go to Facebook and join our group, Women Hacking Betrayal, where we give information, tools, and support to help you move forward and heal once and for all. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough. Breakthrough.